0: How are we all this morning? It's great to see you. It's a great privilege to uh, continue this series in the Song of Songs. Let's just pray. Father, we uh, thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy to us. We thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the written word which we can enjoy, we can be instructed by. Uh, Father, we thank you that... Nothing is left out of, of your word, and uh, we pray that as uh, your people here in Canterbury Gardens that uh, you'll give us a glimpse of what intimacy is about, you'll give us a glimpse of our relationship with our precious Saviour, you'll give us a glimpse of what godly relationships are to be. So Father, as we look at your word and instruct us by your Spirit, we pray we pray this in the powerful name of Christ our savior amen look over the uh the past two weeks we've we've been on quite a journey and uh, it's good for us to acknowledge that this topic has been difficult for some it may have stretched your understanding of scripture and and even the way and method in which you interpret scripture However, there are many who we have talked to as well who have found that the study has provided a forum uh, to engage in a, in a healthy conversation about what the song actually means. You know, some have found the content difficult and struggled with the relevance of discussing this ancient uh, love song. You know, after all, why do we talk about, uh, we really need to talk about physical intimacy in the church? You know, in what way does that relate to the cross and, and how does that relate to my life and um, how does that relate to my relationships? You know, and these things are all wonderful questions. They're wonderful and they're very wise questions. Because after all, when we study God's word, it's got to apply to our hearts and our lives. That is the primary purpose. We take truth and we say, so what? What does that actually mean? Do you know, like when you study any good book, you don't read the first chapter and then read the last chapter and say, oh, I understand what it means. You need to go through the progression of reading the book because only then will you fully deduct the meaning of this book. and That's been my heart as I've taught this book. I wanted to teach it in a way that is progressive, right? It it moves from courtship to marriage to growth and intimacy. And that's what the song teaches. So after all, God has designed intimacy. We've said that from Genesis chapter 2. In the beginning, he created man and woman. Now don't forget that fact. Who we are, God has created, and we're created in his image. And that's essential in understanding this song. Because what God has given us in his Word, he said, okay, you're in my image, I want you to enjoy the pleasures of that creation. And this is the structure we've built as we've gone through this series from week to week. We want you to get a sense of that. And look, we are aware that within this wonderful family, within this wonderful family of redeemed sinners, this local family we call church, we lament with one another when we see intimacy being abused, you know, through acts of perhaps adultery or fornication or pornography or unfaithfulness. Folks, we hurt with you if you've been subject to that. I serve with a wonderful bunch of men who go before the Lord weekly and lament over these things on your behalf before the throne of grace. Some here may lament over the fact that um, God hasn't provided a life partner to enjoy in the way this song describes We lament with you, we pray with you, we pray that God's purpose is revealed to you and that your fulfillment is in the divine love that God has for your soul. And most of us are sitting here in a relationship called marriage. And you may readily identify with the first couple of parts of this song. You say, yeah, I understand the courtship. I, I remember the joys of courting my husband or my wife. I remember the intoxication of love. I even remember the wedding and the honeymoon. But you're struggling because... Intimacy seems to have stopped. You know, intimacy takes a, a place on the side in the, in the midst of raising a family, in the midst of the pressure of extended family relationships and the toll that can have on you, in the midst of financial and emotional pressures. Intimacy can be lost. Through the series, we, we haven't wanted to marginalize anybody or shock anybody with the choice of language or illustrations that have been used. And honestly, if you have felt this way, I personally seek your forgiveness and I apologize. But I would ask that you come and talk to me directly about that because that's a godly approach. A godly approach is when you actually take Matthew 18 and say, hey, I'm going to go if I've got something against that and just talk to a person about that. The godly approach is not to incite uh, antagonism, etc. or to force preferences or will. No, you know, but as a church leadership, and we set this from the outset, we believe that we have the responsibility to teach the whole counsel of God. We do not want to remove any part of Scripture and say that is not important because that flies in the face of what God tells us in His Word, that what His Word is. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It is living, it is active, It is powerful. All Scripture is God-breathed. It's His Word. It's profitable for teaching, for training, for reproof, for correction, drawing us to understanding righteousness and the way to live. So as difficult as this topic may be for some, it is our prayer as a leadership team, it is my prayer personally, that God's all-sufficient grace will use His divine Word to instruct and encourage you. To instruct and encourage you and and turn your hearts to understand this beautiful book of wisdom. That you may see that physical intimacy is a gift from God. It is to be enjoyed within the boundaries of marriage and is to be celebrated as one of God's gifts of love. And that is so contrary to the world's view today. So contrary. The world will continue to tell you that it's something completely different. But we want to uphold it's not. We want to give you as parents skill to teach your children and show your children that this is God's wonderful gift not to avoid the issue, not to let the playground determine the morals and the values, but God's word on these subjects. It's not our desire to offend. It's our desire as God's body to deal with these issues and plainly present God's word on this topic. So by way of review, where are we at in the song? Last week we started, let me kiss. Let him kiss me with a kiss of his mouth, for his love is better than wine. And we've seen for the first three chapters just the, the song explode into individual songs of yearning. Your love is better than wine. I am lovesick. If you've seen him, tell me. Songs of arrival. Songs of admiration. And there's a primary presupposition in the first three chapters as we discussed last week that purity, virginity on both parties seems to be a presupposition when it comes to this song. That's the way God designed it. presupposition is that the couple have maintained their purity throughout their courtship. And you can see that as you read those first three chapters. And we'll see a little bit more of that today. You see, and that's a message we need today in this world. Even in the church, our, our young people, our young folks, we've all been young once, right? We all know what desire and passion's like. We all know that it, sometimes it's very difficult to maintain purity and thought and in action, especially when you're in love. God wants you to understand that His gift of love is a pure gift to be enjoyed in the bounds of marriage, to be enjoyed there. So today, as we progress through this song, we're going to look at, the marriage and the honeymoon, and then the very first conflict. God's word doesn't shield over things. And we're going to enjoy together looking through this. So I'm going to ask my team to come and read with me. Because as we did last week, um, I believe the song was made up of a male and a female part and a chorus. And since you were also hopeless as a chorus last week... <laughs> No, I mean absolutely hopeless. I've actually enlisted someone that can sing. (laughs) So, Brett and Shelley are going to be our chorus. And Brett and Shelley are not only our chorus, they are a Canadian chorus. (laughs) So, this is is good. So, we're reading, if you want to follow, reading from the ESV from uh, Song of Songs, chapter 3, verse 6. And uh, we will be going through to the end of chapter 5 today. So um, please just listen. What What is that coming up from the wilderness, wilderness, like like columns columns of smoke, perfumed with with myrrh and frankincense, frankincense, with with all all the fragrant fragrant powders of a merchant? Behold, it It is the litter of Solomon. Around it are sixty mighty men some of the mighty men of Israel,
1: all of them wearing swords, and expert in war, each with his sword at his thigh, against terror by night. King Solomon made himself a
0: carriage from the wood of Lebanon. He made its posts of silver, its back of gold, its seat of purple. Its interior was inlaid with love
1: by the daughters of Jerusalem. Go out, Go out, O daughters, daughters of Zion, and look upon the King Solomon with the, the crown with which his mother crowned him on the, the day, day of his wedding,
0: on the day of, wedding, the, the, day of, of the gladness of his, of his heart. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. Behold, your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn sure ewes that have come up from the washing all of which bear twins, and that one among them has lost its young. Your lips are like a scarlet thread, and your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built in rows of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Your two breasts are like fawns, twins of a gazelle that gaze among the lilies. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will go away to the mountain of Myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Depart from the peak of Amanea, from the peak of Sinai and Hermon, from the dens of the lions, from the mountains of the leopards. You have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than any spice. Your lips drip nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. A garden locked is my sister, my bride. A spring locked, a fountain sealed. Your shoots are an orchid of or pomegranates with all choicest fruits. Henna and nard, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, with all choice spices. A garden fountain, a well of living water, and flowing streams from Lebanon.
1: Awake, O oh north wind, and come, O oh south wind. Blow upon my garden, let its spices flow. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits.
0: I came to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gathered my myrrh with my spice. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank my my wine with my milk. Eat, Eat, friends, drink, drink, and and be drunk drunk with with love. love.
1: I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound... My beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. I had put off my garment, how could I put it on? I had bathed my feet, how could I soil them? My beloved put his hand to the latch, and my heart was thrilled within me. I arose to open to my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh. My fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed me when he spoke. I sought him, but found him not. I called to him, but he gave no answer. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. They beat me, they bruised me, they took away my veil, those watchmen of the walls. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem. If you find my beloved, that you tell him I am sick with love. What, beautiful beautiful women. Women. what, what is, is your beloved more than another beloved,
0: oh most beautiful among women?
1: What is your beloved more than another beloved, That you adjure us thus? My beloved is radiant and ruddy, Distinguished among ten thousand. His head is the finest gold, His locks are wavy, black as a raven. His eyes are like doves beside streams of water, bathed in milk, sitting beside a full pool. His cheeks are like beds of spices, mounds of sweet-smelling herbs. His lips are lilies, dripping liquid myrrh. His arms are rods of gold, set with jewels. His body is polished ivory, bedecked with sapphires. His legs are alabaster columns, set on bases of gold, His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet and he is altogether desirable. This is my beloved and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem.
0: I hope that reading gives you some sort of a sense of this beautiful poetry. We're just going to go through it and just uh, pull out some applications from it, just try and help explain it for you what this is all about. As I said, it's a song of intimacy, it's a song of growing intimacy. We have a bride and his groom. We start in, in chapter 3 and very much unlike uh, I believe a wedding of today, we have the groom being made much of, right? In today's wedding, we we have processions about brides, we have bridesmaids, we have makeup, we have hair, we have hours of preparation. Um, in the ancient Near East, uh, it was a different formula. It's kind of interesting because the groom is the one that is uh, is admired here. The question was asked: uh, What or who is coming up from the wilderness like the columns of smoke? Three six. And we, we see that we have this Solomon-type uh, character, which is, as we've said right at the start, is a representation of a male. I don't believe this is actually Solomon. All right, I, I I'll state that here. Some may disagree with that, and that's okay. But I think uh, as we've worked through this book, we're saying this is the ideal man, this is the ideal wife. They have the name Solomon and Shulamite. But... Uh, there's other reasons why I take that for you, but I won't bore you with that here and now. But um, So we have this, two questions are, are asked, and the answer is given. Who is coming up? And um, where are this, the fragrances coming from? And the answer is given in verse 7 through 10. And um, the answer is that uh, this man, this groom, is a really much a poetic foil of uh, every young man in love is um, displays his glory in some way. See, so Solomon's displaying his glory, or this type of Solomon here is displaying glory. He's he's the procession is magnificent. He's built himself a, a couch where he's carried on and and he's coming to see his bride. We have 60 worries that could be regarded as a symbol of the groom's protection and strength over the woman as they enter the marriage relationship. there That could be one interpretation we have. Perfume, precious metals, crowns, all show the splendor of the groom. A complete reversal of what we... You know, like, who goes to a wedding, wedding today and says, well, oh, do you know what the groom was wearing? Didn't the groom look great? That doesn't happen today, does it? Because the groom's in a white shirt and a bow tie and black suit. Everyone focuses on the bride. But in ancient Near East, it was more of a focus on the splendor of the groom as the the head of the family, as the the royal figure, if you like. So we have him coming up, and, and then we see this admiration song that breaks out from the groom about his bride. And You know, when you read this, we laugh and we chuckle and we giggle and we say, Oh, well. Really, is is her neck really like the Tower of David? Um, you know, is she really like flocks of goats and this sort of thing? Well, I think as we look at this poetry, he's not really describing so much what she looks like, but how he feels about it when he looks at her. I think it's the imagery he's using. We would use different imagery today. But he's using this imagery, and just to give you some idea of this, you know, doves give you a sense of gentleness and tenderness. A dove is a beautiful, gentle bird. He's saying, I see my wife, my bride, as just gentle and tender. I see her hair as long and flowing. And the mental image he has is goats skipping down the Mount Hermon. Now, has anyone seen goats skipping down Mount Hermon? Has anyone seen goats skipping down anything? Look, it's not something we are familiar with, right? If you're a New Zealander, you'll be familiar with spring lambs bouncing amongst the spring jolly um, pastures. That's probably a sort of a bit like it, this imagery. You know, he's just saying, your hair is beautiful, it's flowing. And she has beautiful white teeth. That's what it's say? And some people waxed eloquently about this and said, oh, well, the teeth must be perfectly straight because that's what it says. Well, it doesn't say that. I don't know if her teeth are straight or crooked. All I know is that her teeth are likened to a washed ewe, And they're, they're white. You know, pomegranates. Has anyone seen a pomegranate? It's becoming a pretty vogue type fruit these days. What color is a pomegranate? Red. Cheeks are like pomegranates. Rosy, red. Okay. Um, and then we have the Tower of David. Now, he's not describing her as a very long necked woman. I do not believe that that's what he's doing. Uh, I think he is describing his woman, the one he loves, as someone that is a tower of strength and dignity. All right, uh, the Tower of David, it's a a military tower. It's it's, um, it's where the mighty men, mighty men could not conquer this tower. It was a picture of strength and dignity. And men could not conquer that tower. And I think in some way, in the same way, he's really saying, hey, um, as a suitor, I see this awesome dignity that you are carrying. And I'm awed by that because no one's managed to break through that and conquer that. Your love is a gift and you're controlling it and holding it for the right time because that was the warning through here, isn't it? O doors of Jerusalem, do not adjure love and do not waken it up until the time is right. And he, he's referring in some ways to that and he's saying, hey, your love love is a gift. It's not something to be plundered like uh, going to war against a tower. It's a gift. And it's a gift that is mutually sh- shared. And then we've got... Um, you know, your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that gaze among the lilies. He's, it's a portrayal of a sense of tenderness, such as those animals are. Fawns. Have you ever seen anything so beautiful as a little baby doe? Yeah, Bambi image here, folks. Okay, Bambi. Beautiful little animal. Absolutely helpless full of beauty and grace and that's what he aligns this to. And then he goes and he declares his intention. He declares his intention openly about his fiance, about his bride. And his intention, if you read through this, is he wants to make love to her. And he wants to continue that day and night, according to verse 6, until the day breaks and the shadows flee. I will go away to the mountain of Myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. And I've had a bit of fun looking at that in the original language. And it It probably should be um, translated this way, that um, I will get me to the Myrrh mountain and to the incense hill. And saying, I want to be with my beloved, and that's what he's yearning for. This man is determined to enjoy the pleasures of his lover. However, he knows he cannot seize those pleasures by force. He must freely give, she must freely give him her love. Therefore, he now makes an appeal. And the appeal starts in um, verse 9. You've captivated my heart, we talked through that. Uh, How beautiful is your love, my sister. And he goes through a whole process of saying, you just take my breath away. And I'm your groom, you're my bride. Let's enjoy the intimacy that God has designed. Let's enjoy the intimacy of being one flesh. And this plays out in verse 9 through 15 where there's tender caressing, there's all sorts of things going on here. At the heart of it, it's the man's words are an appeal for her to lavish her loving caresses upon him. And he concludes in the same way as the song starts. Why? Because your love is better than wine. It's better than wine. And then the beloved is a scribe with two metaphors, a locked garden and a sealed fountain. And the man, in basic language here, is saying allow me into the exotic spices of your garden. And it serves as an expression for one, that the woman's love is abundant and varied. Two, that as her groom, that he should be solely satisfied in his woman. I want to just go back on that because I think it's important to understand. Let's go back to Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs 5 is very instructive. Remember, Proverbs is wisdom literature just like the song is wisdom literature. And I think it's important to to, um, see this. Because in Proverbs 5, it, it's a dialogue between a, a dad and a son, the first nine chapters. And the dad's trying to pass on lots of wonderful advice about what it means to be a godly man in relation to the man-woman relationship. And in Proverbs 5.15, it says this, Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. This is a instruction to the son. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, question mark, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely dear, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight, be intoxicated always in her love. The Song of Songs is teaching that as well, is it not? It's teaching that true intimacy is, folks, blokes, I'm going to talk to you blokes at the moment because I think this is an issue for us in the 20th century. It's Not just here, it's been for many times. I'm sorry if you feel a little bit isolated in this, but I'm talking to the men of the church here. Take this seriously, guys. Take this incredibly seriously. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Be intoxicated with her love, with the intimacy that she can bring. Don't rejoice in the images on the internet. Don't be entrapped by the the vileness of pornography. Men, if we don't talk openly intimate, intimate things with our wives, we need to be. Don't fall into the trap of thinking, I'm going to get my delights from somewhere else. God's word is clear on this. Clear and pointed. Probably too pointed for most of us, but rejoice in that relationship that God has for you. And I see this in Song of Songs. I see this groom Rejoicing. Verse 16, 316 of... No, sorry, 416. After the appeal by the groom, the bride accepts the invitation. She maintains the garden metaphor here. She invites her groom to come and enjoy her love. And in one we have the groom's response. He responds, and this poetry is incredibly discreet and is restrained. It conveys the the joy of sexual love without vulgarity, but at the same time the meaning is clear. The list of these things here, myrrh, spice, honeycomb, honey, wine and milk are all lists of luxurious things. And he uses this to describe that he has partaken of her pleasures to the full. And that's what is here. I'm not going to talk any more about that. But when you read the language of love in here, this is what is happening. This is the honeymoon night, folks. Something to be enjoyed. Why? Because God created it. God designed us to be one flesh. Don't listen to the lies of the world that says, okay, it's like this. Let's go to the scripture to understand what intimacy is about. Because in this book, it doesn't just talk about physical intimacy. To this point, it has. But it will talk about growing intimacy and what that looks like spiritually, etc. And then, like all good love songs, we come to a conflict. In the next little bit, we have cry, despair, intimacy, lost, and a conflict. And I think because of time, we probably aren't going to go into this today. We will talk about this next week. And I'll make some concluding comments on God's design for intimacy. So as you read through the song, you you see we have the courtship, we have this this wonderful love occurring between a man and a woman that moved into the marriage bed and they for the first time have realised the beauty of physical intimacy. When we get married, that's not the whole deal. Okay? This poem is giving us a sense that that may be the whole deal. But it's only part of the process. It's the part of becoming one flesh. We we'll read a little bit later in the song that they will talk about one another being my best friend. He's my lover. He is greater than just this one physical act or continued physical acts. You see, in the marriage relationship, God has designed us body, soul, and spirit. We have needs within our physical. We also have needs within our spirit. And truly a marriage that is blessed is a marriage that honors God. A marriage that is blessed is one that understands and knows that you're in relationship with one another because you're in relationship with the Lord of the universe by his precious blood. You see, the spiritual dimension actually overweighs the physical dimension of a deep, loving relationship. Ephesians talks about that. Ephesians chapter 5 even says this is a mystery. And um, a mysterion, a, a, an aspect that we, we struggle to grapple with because we don't understand the depth of Christ's love for us. And we say, "Well, how can that be imitated within our marriage?" I'm talking now primarily to those who are married here. This song has talked about cultivating physical intimacy. How are you doing in your marriage cultivating spiritual intimacy? because that is vitally important to have great physical intimacy. How do you encourage one another in creating spiritual intimacy? Are you reading God's word together? Married couples, read Song of Songs together this week. It will create not just spiritual intimacy, there could be some other byproducts of that. But the fact is, are you into the habit of actually talking to another about God's word. Folks, are you into the habit of praying with one another? It is the hardest thing in the world to do. I've got to say, I'm hopeless at it, with praying with Jules. She's the champion of this. She's the one that grabs me and says, hey, let's pray. Men, lead your wives in prayer. And prayer around developing deep intimacy, a deep oneness. A place where God can bless you abundantly. A place where you can wrestle with truth and say, how does this apply? The only way intimacy is actually fostered and cultivated is as you foster and cultivate your vertical intimacy with Christ. You may be sitting here and you may not know what we're talking about. You may say, well, who is this Jesus? Well, Jesus provided a way for us to have a personal, intimate relationship with God the Father. He provided it on a cross of wood a couple of thousand years ago where he died for your and mine sin. Because that was what was separating us. That's what always separates us from deeper intimacy is sin. But Christ has paid that. And by his grace and by his love, he provides a way for us to experience his wonderful grace. And that has huge impacts with us as we walk this life together in a relationship that through his spirit attempts to honor him. going to ask the music team to come up and was a song we're going to sing. As they do, my challenge to you this week, folks, is rest upon God's grace and develop the intimacy required. Think about how you read Scripture together. Think about how you pray together. Think about how you communicate. We're talking about communication here as married couples. If you're not married, you think about communication in the sense that it is important. Folks, we need to be communicating at a deep level. And God's word, through his spirit, enables that to happen.